0: Chapter 2 of the Life and Works of Joseph Wright by William Bemrose. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 Early Life, Mechanical Pursuits, Aspirations After Art, Love of Music and Society, Studies Under Hudson, Returns to Derby, Again, Studies Under Hudson. Young Wright early manifested a taste for mechanics. His brother Richard, writing to a friend some years afterwards, thus alludes to his leisure employments. At an early time in life he showed great propensity to knowledge in several mechanical branches, and being of an active mind, would frequently spend his vacant time from school in going to different shops to see the men work when he returned home he would imitate their works and complete them in a masterly manner such as joiners goods chests of drawers clocks spinning wheels guns etc his genius afterwards turned to drawing and painting if he saw a person once he would draw the outlines of his face so strong as to be known at sight making great progress in those branches He was determined to pursue those studies for his profession. Accordingly, his father, an attorney at law, inquired of his agents in London who were the most eminent masters, and upon inquiry, he was recommended to Mister. Hudson. Having seen a rarey show at a fair, he considered attentively upon what principle it could be formed, and having discovered the manner of placing the glasses completed a show about three feet high. Having done this, Wright went to the showman and told him he had made a show like his. The man would not at first believe him, but upon inquiring how he had made it, and finding it was quite correct, he earnestly begged that the boy would not tell anyone by what means he had effected it. This show, exhibiting some Italian views, was afterwards the delight of his children and nieces when the scotch army under prince charles edward came to Derby in december 1745 the elder mr wright father of the painter took his wife two daughters and joe as he was generally called to repton thinking that the rebels could not cross the Trent, as there was no bridge there at that time during the preceding july his two eldest sons, John and Richard, had been placed at Repton School under the Reverend Mr. Rushley. Much to the surprise of the rites, three officers and forty men were quartered in their house at Derby. During the soldiers' stay, they saw a small gun, with which they were so much struck as to make inquiries respecting it, and, upon being told that it was made by Master Joseph, they wished they could see the little gentleman they would take him with them for they were sure he must be an ingenious boy to make that gun at repton young wright saw a christmas piece which belonged to one of the boys for a long time this piece so engrossed his mind that he could think of nothing else and he dwelt upon it until he determined to try to draw thus at eleven years of age he took to art and gradually left off his mechanical pursuits this love for mechanics showed itself later in life by the introduction of an air-pump and an orrery into two of his principal pictures he likewise invented a pair of proportional compasses these were made of two strips of wood with an opening down the middle of each placed upon each other and united by a screw which, moving up and down, fixed the point of the compasses at any place that was desired. By this instrument, Wright was enabled to accurately enlarge or diminish any drawing. His father, being averse to his devoting so much time to drawing, thinking it would never be of use to him, and might withdraw his attention from more necessary pursuits, young Wright used to draw, unknown to his friends, in an attic, where he spent much of his spare time having nothing from which to study he copied the public-house signs in the town which at that time exhibited more pictures than at the present day and it is related of him that when he had completed his copy of the sign of robin hood and little john near his father's residence he was highly delighted as he was likewise when he had finished the buck in the park the buck in the park a sign by which an inn in the town is still known at the present day Means the arms of the borough of Derby, which are azure, a buck couchant enclosed in park palings, all proper. His method was, after looking long and earnestly at the sign, to go home and draw as much as he could remember of it. When at a loss, he returned and examined the sign, and then ran back as rapidly as possible, so that he might not lose the impression produced on his mind and thus he continued until the drawing was finished. His mother, noticing his conduct and wishing to know why he spent so much time in the attic spoken of, entered it and discovered his employment. The boy artist earnestly begged that she would not tell his father, and this request, fortunately for the world, was granted. His predilection for art is well illustrated by a life-size head of Councillor Noel in my possession, Drawn upon blue paper in black and white crayons. On the back, in Wright's handwriting, quote, Joseph Wright, fetch it September the third, seventeen fifty one, etat seventeen. Councillor Noel, the head being unfinished, I was obliged to leave it so. End quote. There is little doubt he was in the habit of attending the courts of assize with his father who was engaged there professionally and had amused himself by sketching the counsellor in his wig but from some cause had not time to finish it the sketches of his early boyhood showed considerable skill and power in light and shade and the treatment of drapery and are thus prophetic of that command of chiaroscuro which distinguished the picture of his maturity His delight in strong lights and shadows was very conspicuous throughout his life. He could never pass a blacksmith's shop or any striking lights in the streets without staying to study them, and the influence of this early passion of his is seen in a large number of his paintings, where remarkable fire, candlelight, and atmospheric effects are rendered with singular power and truth. At length his father finding his decided turn for painting determined upon placing him with the most eminent artist of the time and in 1751 when joseph was seventeen years of age he after careful inquiry amongst his friends in london placed him with hudson the portrait painter with whom he remained as a student for two years footnote sir joshua reynolds and mortimer were also pupils under hudson who lord oxford tells us pleased the country gentleman with his honest similitudes fair-tied wigs blue velvet coats and white satin waistcoats which he bestowed liberally on his customers hudson however though an artist of little imagination was a sound painter and probably a good master and a footnote wright however appears to have soon become dissatisfied with the subjects which hudson gave him to copy which if we may judge from the studies of this period still existing stiff formal portraits in black and white chalk upon blue paper was not to be wondered at amongst them is a spirited resemblance of himself and it is thought probable that the artist tired of such copying amused himself by studying from nature young wright like most young men was fond of a frolic but the effect of a practical joke which he played at hudson's effectually cured him of these mischievous propensities it appears that the lay figure at hudson's was upon low wheels and having tied a piece of string to it which he conveyed under the door wright the next morning whilst the servant-maid was cleaning the grate Stationed himself at the door, which was a little open, to amuse himself with her surprise at seeing it move. Having waited his opportunity, he gently pulled the string, and when the girl turned to look, suddenly stopped. She took no further notice of it until he drew it more decidedly steadily forward. She then earnestly watched its progress, and at last, being convinced that it was moving, threw down her brush and rushed out of the room and would in her fright have precipitated herself over the rails of the stairs if he had not caught her he was so much alarmed when he saw how greatly she was agitated and thought what would have been the probable consequence of such a fall that he determined never again to indulge in practical jokes a resolution which he seems never to have forgotten this circumstance made such an impression upon his mind that he could not hear with patience of any attempt to frighten people as there was no knowing to what consequences it might lead upon the expiration of the period for which he had been placed with hudson wright at the age of nineteen returned to derby and soon afterwards painted the portraits of his father and mother his two sisters his brother and himself These were probably the first portraits he painted, as, when they sat to him, he had only, it must be remembered, been two years at his profession. At this time he also painted the portraits of many of his friends and members of the principal families in the neighbourhood. Being, however, dissatisfied with his progress, he returned to London, in 1756, to study under Hudson for the second time, and remained with him for fifteen months often lamenting during that period that he could not obtain better instruction there being no master of eminence in england at that time painting was not wright's only pursuit he was a real lover of music and was considered by those able to judge to be a first-rate amateur performer upon the flute which he was taught by tacit mr denby the organist at all saints church at this time had weekly concerts at his house, at which Wright played the flute, Burdett, who published A Map of Derbyshire in 1767, the violoncello, the Reverend Mr. Hope, thorough bass on the harpsichord, and the Reverend Mr. Blackwall and Mr. Charles Denby, first and second violins. footnote. Denby published several music-books, a collection of hymn-tunes, sonatinos, and Rondas for the Harpsichord and a footnote. These were cheerful evenings, and Wright took a prominent part in the mirth, for, though naturally shy and retiring, he was of a social and lively disposition. He is said to have been the life of the party. He also attended the balls and assemblies in Derby, Newark, Chesterfield, and other places, and from his handsome person and pleasant manners was a general favourite. Footnote. We here transcribe the rules of the Derby assembly of about this period. They are interesting and curious. Rules. To be observed in the ladies' assembly in Derby. 1. No attorney's clerk shall be admitted. 2. No shopkeeper or any of his or her family shall be admitted except Mr. Francis. 3. No lady shall be allowed to dance in a long white apron. 4. All young ladies in Mantua's shall pay two shillings sixpence. 5. No miss in a coat shall dance without leave of the lady of the assembly. 6. Whosoever shall transgress any of these rules shall be turned out of the assembly room. Several of the above-mentioned rules having of late been broke through, they are now printed by our order and signed by us, the present ladies and governors of the assembly anne barnes dorothy every elizabeth eyre bridget bailey r fitch herbert esther mundy an old inhabitant of derby mr hayden used to relate that wright once asked him whether he should teach him to draw or to play on the flute and that he foolishly chose the latter wright he said was a very pleasant master who held the agreeable theory that Madeira was the best medicine for the flute, and never gave him a lesson without ordering in a bottle of it. Mrs. Cade, Wright's daughter, has related that he used to play upon the flute in the evening, after he had prepared his palate for the next day, and that the Reverend Thomas Gisborne, who then resided in St. Helen's House, at the top of Bridgegate, and afterwards at Yoxel Lodge, Needwood Forest, Was in the habit of drawing with him in the morning and playing upon the flute with him in the evening. She also recollected going with him to Darley Grove, adjoining St. Helens, where he delighted to hear the echoes to his flute. After Wright's death, there was found a large box containing music for the flute, written very neatly by himself, which at last came to the ignominious fate of being used by the servants for lighting the fires. An early memorandum of rights states, My father paid Sandys the colourman for me, March seventeen fifty nine, fifteen pounds seventeen shillings. In March seventeen sixty two, paid ditto twenty pounds fourteen shillings. Lent me a guinea to send, paid for cloth for shirts when I was in London, four pounds four shillings. For a German flute three pounds three shillings. End quote. Having soon attained some local celebrity, Wright was allowed a room at the town hall when he wished to exhibit his pictures, and could not show them to advantage at his father's. It was in this room that he painted the portraits of the members of the Derby Hunt, which now hang in Markeaton Hall, where they were placed by Francis Noel Clark Mundy, the poet. This gentleman, from an elegy written by him in 1765, appears to have been the life, the leader of the hunter-train, and, in Wright's manuscript book, occurs the following memorandum in connection with the portrait of one of the Mundy family, "'The letter in Mr. Mundy's picture to be dated from Umberley in Sussex. It must conclude with your friend, Harry Deckham, not Henry.' The case upon the letter table directed to Francis Mundy, esq, at Markeaton, near Derby. Amongst the portraits known to have been exhibited at the town hall may be mentioned that of old John, head waiter at the King's Head Inn, which was ruffled for ten guineas, and one by Daniel Parker Coke, esq. This picture, which represents old John, with roses in the buttonhole of his coat, and a smiling and intelligent face under his wig is now in the possession of lord belper another local character similarly distinguished was thomas oliver beadle at all saints church whose attentive attitude whilst mr winter or his curate mr hope preached had caught the artist's eye the interest thus excited led the artist to obtain a sitting from the beadle and the picture which resulted was exhibited at the town hall wright made a crayon drawing of his portrait and gave it to mr denby chapter two